1: naare ne na maan ne do jamo pe ro no naare ne na na maan ne no ma pa rain ne i am of my line ma pa rain ne i am my line I hate that one, but I don't know. me. Nothing in that hand me. He do me.
2: Welcome, everyone. Today's show is in two parts. The first part is about the Banking Royal Commission, where there were some major revelations issued yesterday, uh, which calls into question the banking system. We'll be dealing specifically there with the Westpac Bank, and we'll have a surprise interview with the former Premier of Queensland, about that. In the second half of the show, we're going to deal with a piece of legislation that is up before the Senate. It's about the refugees from Manus Island. Remember those people? We've covered this story now for seems like five, six, seven years. Where five years ago, we had an interview with um, a teacher. His name was Jacob Rice, who came and risked imprisonment and told us a lot about what was happening to the refugees on Manus. And of course, the High Court of Papua New Guinea ruled that the Australian detention centre on Manus was unlawful. So the people were eventually, after a long time, moved to PNG. And I've done an interview earlier today with a Catholic priest who's just been in Port Moresby talking with the refugees. So without further ado, let's get on to the Banking Royal Commission and to this statement about the events of this week. Accountants across Australia looked cautiously when the Banking Royal Commission decided to investigate AMP. They knew already how AMP was ripping off its customers. Sure enough, Royal Commissioner Kenneth Hayne unveiled AMP's fees for no service fraud, which he labelled dishonest and inexcusable. Then came revelations about the Commonwealth Bank privatised by Labour Treasurer Paul Keating in the late 1980s. The bank was fined millions of dollars. When the regulator accused Westpac of lending money to people who could not afford it, Westpac's barrister, Jeremy Kirk senior counsel mockingly accused the regulator ASIC of living in the 19th century. He said, Mr Dickens, what's your income and what are your expenses? And now the biggest fraudster of all turned out to be the Westpac Bank, formerly the Bank of New South Wales, Australia's first bank, exposed as an illegal money launderer. The regulator has accused Westpac of 23 million breaches of anti-money laundering laws involving $11 billion in transactions. In West End Brisbane, unconscionable transactions by the local branch of the Westpac Bank have been known for some time. 600 West Enders petitioned their local member, Anna Bly, asking that the public trustee bring the bank to account for its unconscionable behaviour in the dealings with an elderly man who had lost his wife, suffered a life-threatening heart attack and who was not apprised of the risks of the loan transaction that enabled the bank to sell his property, Ahimsa House, in Horan Street. Ms Bly was advised in May 2007 that Challenger Commercial Lending Limited, Challenger Bank, extended a $1.295 million loan to Mr. Taylor when he was unable to repay interest on a loan nearly half the size, only $720,000. This was an unconscionable transaction. By January 2009, Mr. Taylor was in default of the Challenger loan. Mr. Taylor was talked into the loan by loan sharks and fraudsters, Barry Sims, Brian Laver, and Will Marcus. Westpac owned Challenger Bank called in the receivers who sold 24 Horan Street West End for less than half, that is a little bit over a million dollars, of what it was worth. It was valued at 2.5 million dollars and that was in 2011. In the same year the financial affairs of the owner of Ahimsa House, Carl Ross Taylor, were controlled by the by Peter Kahn, the public trustee of Queensland, who is currently suspended by the Attorney General for misconduct. Westpac had passed a fraudulent check of $168,032 by Brian Leonard Labor and Will Marcos to pay off Marcus's mortgage at another property in West End. The money was fraudulently taken from Carl Ross Taylor by both Labour and Marcus with the assistance of Challenger Bank. Subsequently, the building was sold to the Queensland Education Department for $2.8 million for extensions to the West End Primary School. This transaction and others relating to a federal government grant of $50,000 for a water tank that was never built was reported to the Westpac, Ed Mansfield, who was a business loan consultant. And the report was made by Taylor's enduring power of attorney, Bernie Neville. No action on the fraud was ever taken by Westpac. When these matters went before the Supreme Court of Queensland on the 12th of September, 2012, Mr Justice Martin acted on meticulously careful and sage advice quote unquote, by Mr Fraser, Queen's Counsel, that being to do nothing. Mr Justice Martin gave the following judgment. To pursue these matters would be a burden on a man of impaired capacity, such as Mr Taylor. It would expose him to the travails of litigation, with no possibility of any actual advantage to him, apart from the prospect of a victory which would be pyrrhic indeed. So, it is little wonder that, quote, Westpac has been accused of breaching Australia's anti-money laundering and counter-terrorism finance laws 23 million times, including failing to properly vet thousands of transactions that could be linked to the child exploitation and live sex shows in the Philippines and other parts of Southeast Asia. Unquote. Sydney Morning Herald 21st of November 2019 the Queensland Attorney General Yvette Darth should have laid charges against the perpetrators long ago but she like others before her has done nothing can Westpac survive the allegations leveled against it will one of the four pillars fall in setting up the Royal Commission then Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull said it will not put capitalism on trial 30th of November 2017 in this country, at least, capitalism is not even on trial.
3: I've travelled around this country From shore to shining shore It really made me wonder The things I heard and saw I saw the weary farmer a plowing sod and loam. I heard the auction hammer just a knocking down his home. But the banks are made of marble with a guard at every door. And the bolts are stuffed with silver that the farmer sweated for. I've seen the seamen standing idly by the shore. And I heard their bosses saying, got no work you no more but the banks are made of marble with a guard at a bridle and the vaults are stuffed with silver that the seamen sweated for I've seen the weary miner Drumming cold dust from his back. And I've heard his children crying. Got no coal to heat the shack. But the banks are made of marble. With a guard at every door. And the vaults are stuffed with silver. That the miner sweated for. I've seen my brothers working Throughout this mighty land I've prayed we'd get together and together make a stand Then we might own those banks of marble With a guard and a door, And we would share those faults of silver That we have sweated for
2: Then we'd own those banks of marble with a guard at every door, and we'd share those vaults of silver that workers sweated for. That was The Banks Are Made of Marble. It was composed by apple farmer Les Rice, and it was sung there by renowned uh, Pete Seeger. We're going to go to uh, an interview with Anna Bly, former Premier of Queensland, and now the Australian Banking Association CEO. Nice work if you can get it, Anna. Can you please introduce yourself?
4: I'm Anna Bly, former Premier of Queensland.
2: Can you tell listeners a little bit about yourself? Where did you grow up?
4: I was born in Warwick and I went to school at Broadbeach State School on the Gold Coast. Even though I was a Catholic, I was a surfy chick. Not really very sophisticated, but went to University of Queensland and obtained a Bachelor of Arts degree.
2: What made you interested in politics?
4: In my first year at uni, in 1978, I saw people being hit over the head by police in a Right to March demonstration in King George Square.
2: So what did you do?
4: I joined the Women's Rights Collective, which campaigned for legalised abortion against the policies of the Bielke-Peterson government.
2: And then what?
4: I was elected Women's Vice President of the Student Union and tried to oust the faction running the union, led by David Barbagallo and Paul Lucas.
2: Weren't they later in your cabinet when you became Premier?
4: Paul is now the Deputy Premier and David is the Premier's CEO.
2: What was your biggest achievement as Premier of Queensland?
4: Privatising the coal-carrying section of Queensland Rail.
2: Well, I wasn't expecting that as an answer. I thought you'd say being the first popularly elected female head of government. Privatising Queensland Rail made you very unpopular with the unions.
4: Yes, but it was important to bring Queensland Rail into the 21st century as an efficient system for exporting coal and other minerals.
2: 3,000 railway workers lost their jobs only three months after you privatised Queensland Rail. How do you feel about the unions now?
4: Sections of the union movement wrecked my government. They're often unaccountable and engage in unlawful bullying activities.
2: Which are worse, unions or banks?
4: How do you mean?
2: Banks provide loans to people who can't pay them back and confiscate their property. They charge customers fees when no service is given. They launder money offshore.
4: As CEO of the Australian Banking Association, I can assure listeners that banks have responded to that criticism and put in place tougher lending guidelines.
2: But the regulator, Austrac, is prosecuting Westpac Bank for 23 million transactions involving $11 billion.
4: That is most regrettable.
2: Which, the prosecution or the unlawful activity by the bank?
4: Malcolm Turnbull set up the Banking Royal Commission and we've been supporting Commissioner Hayne in the very difficult job he's been given.
2: Australia's four major banks dominate the financial services industry in this country. Will the findings of the Royal Commission bring down the four pillars of banking?
4: Australia needs a more competitive financial system and popular support for credit unions is testimony to that.
2: Is the Banking Royal Commission putting capitalism on trial?
4: No, Malcolm Turnbull promised that it wouldn't and I think we're seeing some important reforms coming out of the Royal Commission.
2: Well, Malcolm Turnbull would say that, wouldn't he? He was a merchant banker himself. Do you recall that your last act as Premier, before your government was defeated by the biggest landslide in Queensland history, that you tabled a petition criticising unconscionable transactions by the local West End branch of Westpac? No, I don't
4: recall.
2: I think we should leave it there. She was the wonderful margaret road knight who is an australian singer with a career spanning more than five decades and that was a cover version of bob hudson's album track girls in our town and it paints an interesting picture of people in brisbane in the conservative years that span margaret road knight's career And now to the second part of our show. You're on the paradigm shift. It's 25 past 12. And we're now going to talk about refugees, but specifically about a piece of legislation that is currently before the Australian Senate. It's called the Medivac Bill. And the government is attempting to repeal that. And now this legislation enables doctors to recommend that refugees in our offshore detention centre, should be brought to Australia for medical treatment as they're required to do under our many international obligations. So to set the scene for the people that have been on Manus Island, now you might recall that people were put in offshore detention on Manus Island and Nauru and... um, then the High Court of uh, Papua New Guinea made a ruling that it was unlawful because uh, Manus is a uh, a protectorate, a, it's a territory of the Papua New Guinea, it's under their control, and the High Court ruled that that was unlawful, that Australia should not be detaining people on uh, Manus Island. So they, they, those people were moved, but just to give us an idea of what conditions were like there? We're going to go back to an interview that we did on this show in September of 2015. It's by Andy, who himself was sailing to Manus to see what could be done. Uh, but uh, whilst he was on in that voyage going there, the uh, the government moved the people from Manus to uh, Papua New Guinea, and we'll hear more about that from a priest who's just been visiting those asylum seekers in the detention centre in Port Moresby. So let's go now to the interview in September of 2015 with this quite courageous teacher at the time, Jacob Rice.
0: Can you start off by introducing yourself? My name's uh, Jacob Rice. Uh, I was working on Manus Island from uh, December last year mm-hmm. until uh, just up until July um, I was there as a, as a teacher. I initially was teaching maths and then uh, things kind of changed around a little bit and uh, at the end I was, I was primarily teaching English. So why did you leave Manus Island? It's a pretty horrific place and so um, I had to make a kind of selfish decision around my Mental health and um, that of that of my um, my partner who I was living with at the time, um, and so I was aiming to leave about December, um, hoping that it would close before then. Obviously, um, but uh, this a jo- another job came up and uh, I jumped it, and that was the reason why I left. What are the conditions like on Manus Island for people detained there? The conditions now are similar to school camp i say to the students at at my new new school that it's like school camp now bunk beds lots of people on top of each other um pretty fun for two days and then it becomes pretty terrible. The other thing that's that's obviously different than school camp is there's a whole bunch of security guards and fences everywhere. Um, the the thing that really is concerning me and, and getting me to speak out now is that it wasn't like that. Uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't school camp quality, it was jungle swamp. Um, and they've spent billions of Australian taxpayers' dollars basically trying to get this place to look shiny um, so that when certain inspector groups come round, they don't get prosecuted in The Hague. Uh, You're risking quite a bit um, by going public about this and talking about it. We know under the Border Force Act, uh, people aren't allowed to talk about what happens there. Why are you choosing to do that? I think... For me, I have some some pretty um, heart-wrenching stories to tell. The other teachers that were there from the beginning when it was a jungle swamp and, and particularly when uh, the protest was um, beat down by the locals and, and the guards, um, there's a lot of people with some really important stories to tell that, that don't feel safe to tell those stories. So. Taking the risk, I suppose, for myself is breaking down that grey area in the law. In the in the Border Force Act, there's a there's a part of it that says protected uh, protected information, and that's a really grey area. Just like kind of you hear in the media uh, operational matters, and so a lot of what I'm saying, I'm pretty confident that I'm not breaking the law. Um, also, being aware that the law's kind of there for for a good reason that the public wouldn't expect that a, a teacher or, or basically anyone working with personal information um, is going to go around to the public and say, hey, uh, my student, Jim, um, he's, he's a homosexual um, or he's uh, come from this terrible place or he's uh, got this illness. And so there's, there's kind of this, this base law that's constantly being twisted on the island. And so they use this law around pretty um, sensible privacy matters to say, you can't speak about how the uh, conditions are on the island. You can't say that uh, people didn't have uh, appropriate levels of, of water and, and and good food in the beginning. You can't say um, that there's a, a sexualized culture with children on Nauru. You can't say all these things based on this law that Kind of starts in a sensible place and gets blown up into this this terrible, uh, totalitarianizing tot- kind of language, which is kind of similar to what we what we've seen in, in Brisbane uh, in Melbourne recently. In Melbourne, uh, the border force came out with a statement that was pretty terrible. Uh, the politicians were able to say, "Oh, um, it was just a poorly worded statement, and this is what we really meant." Now f- on Manus Island with the staff, that's kind of how they always talk. They always talk with these big, threatening, fear-orientated statements to the staff and to the men on the island. The constant message of, uh, you should go home. It's going to be like this forever. You're going to be here. Go home. We don't want you. Australia doesn't want you. These are the things they say all the time. They're constantly giving these messages to the guys. And then if someone... Uh, picks up on it. They say, oh, actually, no, our official message was uh, we're very sorry that it might take a long time, the processing uh, is is slow because there's many of you coming and, and we're not sure what's going on. And that's the written message. And then the verbal message that goes on top of that is, this means we don't want you. This means that you're not welcome, even if you're a refugee because it's illegal to come on boats. And these these words that are, these words that are said constantly in messages to the, the people obviously um, have a big impact on their mental well-being.
5: Who killed Reza Why did he die, and who is guilty? Not me, says the politician, and those closing borders wins elections. His death we do regret, but stopping the boats is why we said. Who comes to this country will decide. It's just too bad that young man died. It wasn't me that smashed his head. You can't blame me. Now he's dead. Who killed Barati? Why did he die, and who is guilty? Not me, says the humble, voter. Australian flag wrapped round his shoulders. He should have come the proper way. Fuck off, we're full, is what we say. It's not our fault he was on the run. If he wasn't locked up, then more would come. I'm sorry that that stranger died. If I knew him, I would have cried. Who killed Reserberati? Why did he die and who is guilty? me says the company chairman his corporation ran his island prison for my stockholders i do my best returning the profits that they expect i'm not responsible for what happened to him i'm not to blame for every employee's sin any inquiry you will see there are others complicit before it comes to me who killed Barati? why did die and who is guilty Not I, said the big world leader who prosecutes the war on terror. I'm keeping the world safe for you, it's what leaders are appointed to do. The refugees that have to flee are not my responsibility. Don't point your finger at me, he was in prison to keep you free. Who killed Reza Barati? Why did he die and who is guilty? Says the TV presenter that politicians wrap round their fingers. I report how they said he died in any way they won't let us inside. I believe in the public's right to know, but you can't take cameras where they can't go. I'm not responsible for any death. We report the news by what rates best. Who killed President Barati? Why did he die and who is guilty? He says the guard from G4S They put our security under stress It's what we were contracted to do Cruel and dirty jobs for you He should have accepted his fate Gone back before it was too late Don't say murder, don't say kill I was doing my job, you paid the bill Who killed Barati? why did he die and who is guilty?
2: That was Phil Monsour with uh, who killed Reza Barati. Reza Barati was a Kurdish man. He was a refugee from Iran. He was put on Manus Island where he was murdered by the guards. Um, now let's we're going to go to a Catholic priest. Don't often have Catholic priests on this radio show, but this one is Jerry Heavenin, who is from Brackenridge. And he has been with a delegation of Catholics uh, sent there by the Catholic bishops to go to um, the detention centre in Port Moresby and to talk with the refugees there. And the reason why they've done that, or in part, is the there is a bill before the Senate that will be voted on next Wednesday. And that bill is to repeal legislation that says that medical doctors can recommend that refugees be brought to Australia for medical treatment. So you're on the paradigm shift. It's 23 minutes to one. This is Ian. And this is an interview I did earlier this morning with Gerry Heffernan. Could we start by you introducing yourself? Uh,
1: Good morning. Uh... Jerry Hiffrin. I'm a Catholic priest over at uh, Brackenridge, uh, Bald Hills Parish, and I've been uh, here in the parish for eight years.
2: Can you describe the current situation of the Manus Island refugees?
1: There was a delegation from the Catholic Church that went in early November to Port Moresby to visit the majority of the Manus Island refugees that are now in Port Moresby. So we had a a delegation of seven went and the opportunity to meet people and talk to them about their situation. So between the delegation, we met various people to be able to hear their stories, not to be in a hurry, but to be able to how they wanted to describe the situation and also to talk to the local church up there uh, the Catholic Church and also ecumenically with the council of churches up there to see how they've been supporting people as best they can up there my greatest concern was the medical condition of people Uh, Some have been medevaced to Australia. Others were waiting. And some didn't know with the impending legislation uh, in the Senate whether the medevac would continue or not. And there was a grave concern by people there about their own health, particularly psychologically. Um, I met with... uh, is some of the people I have met uh, knew their friends who had uh, suicided on Manus Island over the years in detention. So they were still grieving deeply for that. They had concerns regarding their own mental health, their sleep patterns, their their anxiety, high anxiety levels and how that it can affect other parts and medical conditions. So I came away, as did the delegation, we came away really concerned about the mental health in particular, but there were other health issues for some of the people as well. Because of the time on Manus Island, uh, some of them at one stage had been deprived of water, so that had affected uh, internal organs as well back in 2017 and they were looking for expertise in australia to be able to help them the medical services in papua new guinea do the best they can but in some areas of specialist needing they they needed the help in australia so Medivac was uh critical for them we couldn't visit everyone um a certain proportion of the Manus Island detainees are now detained in the Bermana Immigration Detention Centre in Port Moresby. So they're not allowed general visitors, and uh, as church visitors, they're not allowed as well. So whereas the federal government, uh, the Manus Island Detention Centre, was found to be illegal by the High Court, of uh in papua new guinea they moved some of them into a brand new detention center uh in port Moresby, built next to the prison there and the australian government has funded that particular area so those people in isolation we weren't able to visit but we're able to meet with people who had been in isolation and released and so to hear their stories of what And their concerns about their the people they knew back in the detention center coming back to australia just talking to a few people who didn't even know we were funding another detention center in moresby so some people know back here in australia and some don't but yeah a genuine concern and just bearing out what doctors have already said in medical reports about the need for the Medivac for those who are there at the present time.
2: I understand that there are 47 asylum seekers. Do they have refugee status?
1: Uh, some of them have had their applications refused and some of them, to my knowledge, had uh, their assessment process hadn't been concluded for various reasons. So not being able to meet them, not being able to see what their refugee status was. One person we met, for example, who's out uh, in in outside accommodation, he was refused uh, status, but then Canada checked his case and saw that it was a refugee status. So that just queried about refugee status and who's acknowledging what their status is when one country says no and another country says yes they're genuine
2: you mentioned that the senate is reviewing the medivac legislation what what is that legislation and why are they reviewing it
1: so we have the current medivac uh, legislation to be able to enable doctors to be able to decide on medical opinion if uh, some of them need greater health care in Australia and that came in on a close vote Uh, and now that's been through the House of Representatives in July, been through the Senate and final votes coming up and the government has expressed its wish to repeal that legislation. But uh, from just from the point of I'm not a doctor but just seeing, uh, being quite stressed by what I saw of the people who are detained and their medical needs, particularly their psychiatric medical needs, just needing professional help. Uh, I believe that me- that uh, Medivac is important. Uh, there are accounts in the media that it would be decided on one vote. It's a close vote uh, in the Senate and it's scheduled for... Uh, when at the current time, it's scheduled for Wednesday next week. That's
6: I was a miner. I was a docker. I was a railwayman between the wars. I raised a family in time of austerity with sweat the foundry between the wars. I paid the union and as times got harder I looked to the government to help the working man. But they brought prosperity down at the armory. We're arming for peace, me boys, between the wars. And I kept voting not for the iron fist But for the helping hand For oh, this is a land A wall around it And mine is a faith In my fellow man This is a land of hope and glory Mine is the greenfield and the factory floor Consent to any government that does not deny a man a living wage. Go find the young men, never to fight again. Bring up the banners from the days gone by. Sweet moderation, hearts of this nation, desert us not. We
2: are between the wars That was Billy Bragg with Between the Wars. And now let's go back to Jerry Hefner, who is a Catholic priest who has just been on, uh, been to PNG to listen to the Refugees there that are seeking asylum but are being prevented from of coming here by the federal government. Let's go to that interview that I did just earlier this morning on his return from PNG. Doctors who assess refugees as patients face ethical questions. On the one side, they have the Hippocratic Oath and on the other side, there is enormous political pressure Um. Will politics or medical ethics prevail, as happened with baby Asher?
1: I just have uh, real concerns uh, that the Senate uh, members, without enough consultation with the medical profession, would vote and uh, not being aware of the damage they could do. It's already been a case on Manus Island where and Nauru of um, 12 deaths in previous times over the last few years, and I don't know how politicians will be able to make a decision on who was suicidal or not. I think that's a medical decision and an ethical decision there. Seven died on Manus, five died on Nauru, there were suicides, medical negligence, and one was killed by a security guard. So with 12 deaths uh, there between the two facilities, um, I believe the doctors need to be listened to. They're the professionals in, in mental health and other health issues. We need to know what they say.
2: Various, uh, accordingly. Yes, various Christian organisations are helping refugees. For example, currently uh, Kurdish people are being bombed by... Turkish warplanes in both northern Syria and northern Iraq. What do you think as a Catholic priest what do you say about the current conflict that is driving people from their homes and villages?
1: Uh, In our parish at Breckenridge we've welcomed people to the north side of Brisbane since 2016 and uh, on the north side they live between Kangaroo Point and uh, north Lakes and there's been over 200 families from Syria and Iraq have arrived on the north side of Brisbane and be settled by MDA. So we've had an opportunity to listen to their stories from Syria and Iraq and the questions of what well, their families back home and their great concern. Uh, about the regimes that are there, about the corruption, about the world politics that's played out. Um, last weekend, I was talking to a small group of Christians from northern Syria about the death of a friend of theirs, a uh, priest who died recently, killed by ISIS, so it's not safe there. ISIS killed a local Armenian Catholic priest in northern Syria and his dad so they just talk about the tragedies that are happening over there it's not safe and they're concerned when they hear sometimes uh, people saying oh it's safe they can go back they can't it is just so terrible back home I was in Iraq northern Iraq uh, in September last year and talking to people who had been refugees. I went back into the area, part of the area where ISIS had been, and uh, some of the people trying to rebuild and, um, and with so little. And then so many back here just worried about what's happening. The level of trust, even in Iraq, I'd go through security points. So you're met, first of all, by the Iraqi army. And you'd go through there, and then 100, 150 metres away would be another checkpoint where you'd go through sheer militia, because they didn't trust the army. So you'd go through two sets of checkpoints every time you go through. One of the places I tried to get into that had been levelled, we weren't allowed in at that time by militia. Uh, Iraq is definitely unsafe, and Syria is just terrible, the situation there at the moment. Yeah, and the anguish of families we've got on the north side of Brisbane, worried about their families and their safety back home in Syria and Iraq, and then some who have been designated as refugees by UNHCR, by the United Nations, in other countries waiting to see where they're going to go for refuge
2: speaking about it's the refugees yeah speaking about the refugees in PNG father yeah. giorgio Lissini said the government of australia is making life particularly harsh for them inside bamama immigration detention centre in order to convince them to sign for repatriations is the system broken
1: uh, Father Giorgio on behalf of the Catholic bishops of Papua New Guinea visits the people outside but has not been allowed access into the Bermana Detention Centre but he does have the opportunity to speak to those who have been released from there and to hear their stories and he bases that on their stories of how to get out you've got a signed paper to say you're going to leave and the mind games that are placed with them so that they never know from day to day what's going to happen the uh, psychological abuse with them until it is so tough that they want to get out one example was a person who had been in the he was a uh, iranian and he's consented to go back to Iran even though the likelihood is that he will be jailed by the Iranian uh, regime back in Iran and uh, but to get out of Bamana, which is so tough he probably faces imprisonment possibly torture but given the psychological gains in Bamana, he believes it would be better to go back to Iran and that is just a terrible indictment on, on Australian policy.
2: So, you met people um, in, in PNG. How do you see the future for those people that are held in Bhamana? What, what, what sort of future awaits them? It's just
1: so unknown. Um, what's, until they're free, until they can find a life that their dignity Is respected instead of games being played with them really worry about their future and certainly the church in from what I've heard from church personnel uh, in Papua New Guinea and Port Moresby they're so concerned about their mental welfare.
2: Is there anything is there anything you'd like to add in summary?
1: I just believe that this is, uh, next week, uh, on Wednesday, one of the issues that we face as Australians is how fair are we? And if we vote against Medivac, I cannot see how we can really call ourselves fair as Australians. That fair play just, yeah, I'm so concerned about it. I'm not a politician, I'm just concerned about people's lives being failed
2: with them. Thanks very much for your time.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you, Ian.
2: That was Father Jerry Heffernan, which a uh, very heartfelt uh, reminder that um, there's a, you know, the, the the current situation with refugees is up in the air. there's uh, a priest who's been to northern Syria, northern Iraq, which are hot spots at the moment, where there are people being attacked by both ISIS, yeah, it's not true what President Trump says. ISIS has is not been defeated because it's an ideology, isn't it? And uh, also a bombing of uh, Kurdish villages both in northern Iraq and northern Syria by Turkey. Uh, the door was opened by uh, President Trump there to uh, for them to take those regions, and of course, right across from Turkey all the way to Iran, that's Kurdistan, which the people are stateless and they're living from very difficult circumstances. And many of them find their way here and then they get caught in offshore detention. So we're coming towards the end of the show, but I'd like to make a few community announcements. The first one while talking about Iraq, um, there's going to be a special briefing about the revolt in Iraq. You wouldn't know that from our news sources. Um, There's actually a a revolt in Baghdad at the moment. It's been going for uh, nearly two months. There have been over 300 people shot dead. There have been over 1,500 people injured. They're in uh, Tahrir Square, which is in the heart of Baghdad, and their uprising is one for freedom. And we have a former Iraqi journalist who will be speaking this Sunday at 1pm till 3pm about the situation. He'll be at the Albion Peace Centre. It's hosted by the Queensland Socialist Alliance. You can have a look on Facebook on the uh, special briefing in on revolt in Iraq. There's a, a page set up for that. So that's this Sunday at 1pm at the Albion Peace Centre in McDonnell Road in Windsor. The next announcement is um, relating to uh, Julian Assange. Uh, of course, we've covered this many times on the show. There is a Queensland for Julian group that has been set up whose sole purpose is to bring Julian Assange home to Queensland. And there will be an event next week at, the, um, at Parliament House in the Premier's Hall, that's in the annex there behind the old Parliament House. That's next Wednesday on the 27th of November at 6.30 till 7pm. So if you go once again to the Facebook page, it, this is for just 2 4 j and you'll get the page and it'll tell you about uh, what they are organising to try to bring Julian Assange home. The other announcement is that the Australian Solidarity with Latin America group, they are looking at 16 days of activism against gender-based violence and they're paying tribute to the Mirabal sisters who fought against state oppression and paid with their life. There will be a an event tomorrow, 23rd of November, from 2pm till 6pm at the Brisbane Square Library in the community meeting room. There'll be guest speakers and performances by Sue Monk from Jumping Fences, and there'll be a voices of Spanish-speaking women uh, with music. So that's um, that's uh, tomorrow, 2pm, Brisbane Square Library. It seems that we've got them pretty well covered Wednesday, 27th November, from 12 till 1, the Refugee Action Collective with the slogans Free the bamana 47, which Father Heffernan spoke about before, say no to coercion, bring them here. It'll be outside the Department of um, Home Affairs, this picket, in 299 Adelaide Street in the CBD, and that's to bring pressure on the government not to reject, not to repeal the Medivac Bill, Bill, which allows humanitarian transport of refugees to Australia. Now, that truly is it. Let's go out with another Pete Seeger favourite, Which Side Are You On? See ya.
3: Which side are you on, boy? He'll be with you fellow workers until this battle's won. Tell me which side are you on. Stand it, tell me how you can Will you be a lousy scab Or will you be a man Which side are you